Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Internet Marketing. Hello and welcome to the Internet Marketing Podcast brought to you by Site Visibility. I'm your host, Scott Colnut, and with me today is Katrina Wong, VP of Product Marketing and Demand Generation at Twilio Segment. And I'm really excited to discuss privacy-first marketing today. There is so much that we've discussed on this podcast, and it's so much that we haven't. And one of the big trends that we haven't discussed more recently is the world of privacy-first marketing. Everything that's happening with the big tech firms, data, privacy, the things you've seen in the news. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to having this discussion with you, Katrina. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. You know, when I think about just everything that's been happening, it's just just such an amazing time to be a marketer. Um, I've been in the industry for about 20 years, and I've actually seen multiple waves of technology solving for what marketers need. And it's all of it has been around data and understanding your customer better. So um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, You know, we've come a long way um, in the last decade or so. So um, yeah, I look forward to uh, kind of uh, both of us sharing our thinking around these amazing big topics. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's definitely, you're right. It's definitely a a pivotal moment. Uh, Privacy, the, the trend of opinion and the trend of people sharing their thoughts around privacy and actually then the practical changes that the tech firms are making as well. So I agree with you, a very pivotal time. Uh, Do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners in your own words, maybe describe the work that you do at Segment uh, and anything else you want to describe about any personal marketing missions that you're on or any company missions that you're on? Sure. So I lead marketing for all of Twilio's segment. Um, we consider ourselves, you know, the number one customer data platform, um, otherwise referred to as a CDP. And so we are a division of Twilio. And what our platform does is uh, we help our customers clean, consolidate, and really centralize uh, their first party customer data. Um, so this is all in service of them being able to get a consistent, accurate, authentic 360-degree view of their end customers. Um, What it really means for marketers is that once you have great data, you can power really smart, data-driven marketing and deliver exceptional customer experiences. So that's really kind of our mission. 
And what's your role in, in your work at Twilio segment? What do you do behind the scenes? Um, I lead product marketing and demand gen. Um, those are my areas of focus. And so when we launch new products, uh, the team and I figure out how to actually go to market with it. Mm-hmm. And the demand generation piece is really um, educating the market, drumming up interest and sharing how we can solve uh, problems for our customers and for marketers in, in particular. As we discuss more in this podcast, it will unfold how Twilio Segment can help users and marketers in the world of privacy-first marketing. So I'm sure those things will start to align as we talk. And you just touched a moment ago on first-party first party tracking. And so maybe let's just start there. So there will be listeners that are maybe new to marketing or maybe just aren't familiar with how tracking and privacy has worked up until this point today. So maybe can you, if you're able to, summarize how tracking has currently worked up until the last couple of years? Sure. Um, maybe I could start with a definition of what you, you know first-party data is, uh, you know third-party data is. Because some of these definitions, I think, um, it's a good way to orient on how tracking can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start with third-party data. So third-party data is any data that's collected in bulk by a company, but there is no direct connection to the consumer when that data is collected. And how it's used is it's oftentimes aggregated and unfortunately even shared without permission between companies. Um, so a practical example is, you know, brands will buy third-party data in bulk to power how they would like to target audiences. So for example, you can create an audience for Google ads, for example. Um, the reason why consumers don't quite like this is, you know, when brands are not open about it and using third-party data, it can feel like this um, abuse of their privacy. Um, I'll jump ahead to what first-party data is. First-party data is a lot more accurate. It actually reflects what your customers' preferences are. And um, it's data that, as a consumer, you're actually providing to a brand because you want to share what your preferences are. You want to create an account, so on and so forth. Please continue with the second and third party data examples. I think that would be really helpful. Great. Um, Second party data is really first party data, but it's someone else's first party data, if that makes any sense. So, so, um, So we could be collecting first party data and our partner of ours um, can be collecting first-party data. And so if we're sharing that data, then it's second-party data. And then third-party data. Yeah, third-party data is actually data that's collected in bulk. Um, it's anonymous, and um, it's oftentimes um, collected without the consumer even knowing. And so that's where all the controversy is in terms of privacy, because when marketers use third-party data, it's not one-to-one marketing. And so you don't Mm. actually know how your data is being used. Uh, It's really interesting just thinking it through and thinking about the history of first, second, and third-party data because I'm a little bit biased as a marketer and I, I don't often sit back and think too much about what's happened. But looking back and thinking about where we are now, the abundance of data that we've had at our fingertips which have ultimately led to the the trend in big data or the phrasing of big data, the terminology of big data. 
there was an imbalance there between the marketer and the consumer. And perhaps we'll talk about this in the moment, because my question for you was going to be what have been the pros and cons up until this point for marketers and then for consumers? It seems like for marketers, it's the abundance of data that we've had to work with. But at some point, there would have been a tipping point where that became an invasion on privacy. The weight shifted far too much towards the marketers and users had less control of their data. When do you think that happened? That's right. I mean, to be honest, I think because of the abundance of just technology in combination with social media, the uh, the data just became available for marketers. Um, you know, I reflect back to, you know, even a decade ago, it was impossible to be data mark, uh, data driven in marketing because mm-hmm. the data just wasn't around. And to your point, it's, it's a blessing in disguise because we actually have a lot of data, but it's also in many ways uh, a trap because um, you may not know where your data is coming from, even as a marketer. Right. And if you're buying data, that's where it kind of goes into some of these gray areas, you know, around privacy. So as marketers, you know, we're constantly innovating and evolving and and we should definitely be super mindful of, you know, putting the customer first and really being in their shoes and wearing their shoes. And so that leads quite nicely in, in terms of being customer first in how and why some of the major tech companies in particular, Google, Facebook, and Apple, have introduced some changes over these last few years. So could you maybe summarize the most important privacy changes that we've seen over the last couple of years from these major tech companies, Google, Facebook, and Apple in particular? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Google has, um, and I think this was a recent announcement, uh, I'm sure it's been in the works, right, and, and well discussed, uh, their, their, their leading browser, Chrome, um, they're moving to just a really privacy first future. And so there will be limitations in terms of what Chrome can track uh, anonymously. Apple's new privacy rules, um, this is around their latest, you know, iOS 14. And what they're making is their version of third party data, similar to cookies, just completely obsolete. What's been really interesting for us, you know, you know, just working out of the U.S. is this huge wave started with uh, the European Union and the GDPR regulations mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And uh, we recently um, did a study and it was uh, something around the orders of 65% of the world will be governed by privacy regulations by 2023. And mm-hmm. honestly, I, I think this is such a great move um, it's good for consumers. And it just means that as marketers, whether you're a digital marketer or just a marketer in general, we have a pretty high bar. Um, but this is such a positive move. And frankly, it's been long awaited. And, you know, I think the message is if you're a marketer, you really can't continue with your own ways and you really need to do something else and, and to innovate. Yeah, there was something interesting that I saw. I don't know if you'll have any more information about this. I don't know too much about it. But yeah, we had GDPR over here in Europe, as you mentioned. And then I saw that California also introduced some kind of regulations around privacy. Yes. I can't remember the abbreviation, something CCCP or something. Um, yes, yes, is that, yes. Is that, right. is that similar to GDPR in its intent? It is. It is. And so, um, and, and I work out of California. So oh, right. it's interesting, yes, because as soon as GDPR 
happened, we knew in California we needed to how we were treating our European um, customer base was the same way in California. So we are progressive, um, and that's really you know kudos to you know this state and how uh, progressive we are. But yes, we are also ahead of the curve. Interesting. And has that happened in any other states in America yet? Is it a localized um, approach to privacy that's happening over there? I think there is a movement overall, but in terms of state by state, um, mm. you know, as you may know, each state gets to decide in the U.S. So I, I'm, I'm not as up to speed uh, with everything else. But most of us in California, what we're doing is we're applying California standards across the U.S. So really, we're applying GDPR standards across all of our marketing because it's too hard for us to pay attention state by state yeah. um, what is happening. Okay. So I'm interested in breaking down some of the some of these changes that have happened and how this privacy first future impacts the firms, us as customers and consumers or browsers of the internet, and also for marketers. And just to kickstart that with the firms, there's some interesting developments, particularly with Google and Apple here that I've thought about and I've read about. So in particular with Google, so with Apple restricting access to certain ads or tracking for users that impacts google's advertising platform that's one of the huge benefits for apple is that they're not technically or their primary service offering isn't advertisements um so they're able to introduce this and essentially they've been using it as a unique selling point as some of their recent products explaining that you know if you buy an apple device it's got privacy built in that's something that they've really been playing on in their marketing uh, on the flip side one another way in which it benefits apple and this has gone under the radar a little bit, but a lot of the free apps out there, particularly on the Apple Store, they have uh, a lot of the people that the developers that build the apps have made money um, from advertisements within the app, so in-app ads. However, they can't make money the same way or they won't be able to make money the same way moving forward. So that might cause an increase in an increase in app developers selling their apps at a price as opposed to giving them away for free. And in turn, that benefits Apple because they take 30% of the cut for all app sales. So there's a lot going on there with the firms and how it impacts the firms. And it's really like the ball is now in Google's court uh, when it comes to some of the big tech firms to say, well, over to you, see what you do next. Because they're most at risk probably of this privacy first future. Are there any other ways in which you've reflected on how a privacy first future impact some of these firms that we were just discussing? Well, I think it comes down to just ethical business, Mm. meaning the bar is high. Um, And this is what, you know, like when I reflect on, you know, just 20 years ago, whether it's some of the social movements we're seeing, right? Like, like to be mission driven as a business is the way to be, mm. you know, I would say, you know, to win, but it's really just to be. And I think the big tech firms know that. <laughs> and yeah. I think big brands know that. And so this is just part of a global movement to just do right, you know, by, by, um, by all of us, right. As consumers, you know, when I, you know, when I don't have my marketer hat on, um, as a consumer, I'm like, yes, you know, I want to be marketed to in the way that uh, makes sense for me, in a way that I find valuable. You know, it comes down to that value exchange. So for me, it's just beyond what's happening with the tech firms. It's just 
an overall movement of just as a society, how we want to do business. Yeah, that's interesting. So moving on to how looking at it through a consumer lens and how it impacts consumers. That's something I agree with. I'm, I'm quite, I'm feeling, um, again, maybe I'm a little bit biased because it maybe took me later to notice than it did the general public because I, I kind of felt like I was blind to advertising like, like a lot of marketers do. You study it so much, you see so many ads, you really forget the, you forget the impact that it has. But over the last couple of years, you know, maybe I've been sitting there and I've had retargeting pop up for a gift that I've bought someone and maybe they're with me and like it starts to feel a bit intrusive even to me as a marketer. I'm like, oh, this has mm-hmm. gone too far. So I'm feeling quite excited about the idea of a personalized but still private future on the internet. Are there any other ways that in which you think this might impact consumers for either positively or negatively? I think that, and we've seen this, you know, at Twilio segment where really large brands, um, and, and, you know, oftentimes, you, you know, I don't have their permission to actually share, you know, which brand, but large brands are finding that when they take a stance and say, hey, it's only about first party data, um, they go from perhaps, um, you know, not sure how to market in this new world to being able to figure out with some of the latest technology that's available, uh, specifically like a CDP where it actually helps you track what your consumers are doing on your own property. And we've seen that for some of these large brands, they're able to recoup, right? What they thought would be a loss to exceeding revenue goals because you're actually working with stronger data, data that's more accurate. And um, you're able to run highly personalized campaigns that seem delightful to the customer versus not. And that actually leads me nicely onto your messages for marketers. So looking at it through a marketing lens, what does this mean for marketers? What changes do this, does this mean for marketers? Should the marketers that are listening to this be worried and be like, oh, no, there's no data left. I can't market to anyone. I can't do my job anymore. How should they be feeling? You know, I... I too myself, you know, um, when GDPR, you know, was first, you know, kind of came into my psyche, you know, I too myself was a little bit worried, but Mm -hmm. inside I knew that was the right thing to do. But I will say it's been, you know, a short few years, but the technology out there will help you actually track your customer behavior in a much better way where you don't have to extrapolate with third party data. So, um, you know, when I talk about what a CDP does, it, it collects, it consolidates, it cleans, right, and synthesizes your data. That's the key. That really is because the technology is here today. And, you know, we have some interesting proof points. Yeah, you used the phrase there as you were talking, the right thing to do. It kind of strikes me that any good marketer, if you're focused always on the right thing to do, you'll always find a way to adapt. It doesn't really matter about the technology changes and how things are implemented, you'll find a way to adapt because it is the right thing to do. So I think that's a a key thing that I picked out as you were just saying there. So that's kind of a strategic level thinking. But then when it comes down to -to day-to-day practical advice, there are going to be some changes here that marketers need to consider more immediately and particularly over this next six months. So where would you recommend that marketers start? People that are listening to this that maybe haven't got either first party tracking 
in place or they aren't focused on that as much. Perhaps they're using or they have been using a lot of third-party data as part of their marketing. What should those people be doing and looking at over this next six months? I think the first thing you need to do is look at your marketing tech stack and think about instrumentation. And to get started there, there's actually a lot that you can do um, out of the box for Google, for example, even before you put in a CDP. But my biggest piece of advice is think about instrumenting your channels and gathering that data. And once you have the volume of data, then you think about organizing it, synthesizing it, processing it. But um, it really starts at the marketing tech stack. And then beyond the marketing tech stack, so for example, skill, are there any particular skills or characteristics that you would recommend marketers or even resources that come to mind that have helped you on this journey to think about the future? I feel like the last couple of years, I would say five, six, seven, eight. As a marketer, um, you know, when I look across my team, most of my team are actually quite technical. So, you know, when it comes to skills, I think just being able to understand beyond how to communicate, but actually how systems and processes work is, is a trend that's been happening. The marketing technologists, if you will, for the past couple of years, uh, that's, you know, to me, that kind of came organically because I think marketers wanted to be data driven. And so therefore the technologies came and then marketers basically train accordingly. Um, I think the other skill to touch on is once you have the data piece and it's not as daunting as it may seem once you start, right? The next piece is how do you actually run really, really creative campaigns. Mm-hmm. And I have some of the examples that I could provide later, um, you know, around some of our, you know, customers and what they're doing, but it's the creative customer targeting strategies that you're going to have to get a hold of, right? Because I think this issue of, you know, privacy, first party, first party, what it really comes down to is how do you actually run hyper-personalized campaigns that are creative, authentic, and engaging, And so that in itself can be a skill set because prior to this era, if you will, uh, many of us in marketing were just sending out very generic emails or blasting (laughs) emails because we couldn't tell. We couldn't really take a personalized approach because we couldn't tell what our target audience wanted and, and what consumers really wanted. That's really interesting. It leads me nicely into something I wanted to discuss, which is the point about personalization. So I've seen the view that some people are worried that personalized experiences will become more difficult because you don't have as much tracking in place. And then I've seen this opposing view that actually personalization will become even easier because you're tracking more first-party data about your users or customers. So I'm just interested to know from your perspective, maybe the the benefits of first-party data. So how you think marketers will be able to excel with first-party data And is there anything that exists in marketing today that won't be possible in a first-party, first world? This goes kind of deeper in my thinking, Mm. which is um, when you have, and I'm a little closer to it because, you know, I obviously, uh, you know, day in and day out, think about CDPs and first-party data, and, and that's what we help our customers do. But you would be surprised at how much data and how many signals that you can actually gather 
from, you know, digital touch points. And, um, you know, unfortunately with COVID, the pandemic digital touch points are very, very real. And overnight, what we saw was like, oh my gosh, our data exploded for all of our customers, for ourselves even. But when you have a bunch of data, a lot of data, it far exceeds what you can extrapolate from anonymous data third party, right? Because I think um, the breadth of what's available in terms of what your customers are doing is so much more when you're collecting first party data and, um, and doing something with it. For example, um, you know, when we re-instrumented, you know, our own stack, you know, there were 200 touches, right. Before, um, a, a company or, or a person at a company moved over to the next step of, you know, garnishing real interest. And that was something that, you know, without the instrumentation, I would have never thought 200 touches, mm. right? So that's, that's an example of how much, how powerful first data can be. And then speaking practically about collecting this data. So when we're speaking about first party data, I think what comes to mind for most people listening to this and marketers in general will be email addresses. That's the, probably the first party data that we're most familiar with. What other forms of first party data are there that we can start collecting and using in our marketing campaigns? Oh, we call them event streams, but it goes okay. beyond just information that you put into a form. Mm. It's coming onto a website and say, um, I'm browsing at a pair of shoes. Maybe I clicked on an ad. Uh, I come on and I'm clicking on different properties of the website and just simply viewing something, all of that can be collected, all of it. So it's more than just, it's more than just information that you're typing in, providing about yourself. It's, it's showing your preferences online on a particular brand's uh, property. Like, am I clicking into the latest, you know, um, the bestsellers? Am I clicking into new looks, you know, uh, if we're talking about retail? So I think you could help bring this to life and, and maybe close out this episode today by you just mentioned just a moment ago, uh, sharing some examples that you've seen your, either your favorite examples or maybe the most advanced examples you've seen from, it could be from clients at Twilio segment or just those that you've seen out in the wild, just as you're doing your research and discussion about this topic. So your favorite examples of privacy first marketing, what have you seen? This is actually a fun one. So one of my all-time favorites is a well-known sneaker company, and uh, they happen to be one of our top customers. And when we hear this example, we're like, wow, they've really taken it to personalization to a new level. So there's a reality show stateside called The Sneaker Game. So imagine seeing a new sneaker preview on the show. You can now go on this brand's mobile app. They actually have nine <laughs> and send a text message to a celebrity ambassador and she or he will engage with you in real time about that sneaker. <laughs> and when that sneaker drops, in other words, gets released, you get yeah. notified. And for sneaker enthusiasts, this is so huge because the coolest sneakers actually run out in minutes. Yeah. You know, I'm a quasi sneaker fan, but not, you know, not a fanatic. And when I heard that, I was like, Oh my gosh, minutes. And, um, and of course, right, you can only do this if you have the right technology capturing first-party data and all these preferences. So um, this brand, essentially what they've done is built irresistible customer engagement 
And I would argue customer loyalty too. And data is just a big part of it. You know, we didn't really touch on this, but the whole retention of your customers, right? That's about knowing your customer and their preferences. And you can only get this with great first party data. Yeah, that's really interesting too, because it, I think one thing uh, just in closing there, and maybe you'll be able to lab- elaborate on this for me, but it places a little bit of greater emphasis on users than it has done historically to provide details of their preferences. So maybe that will change. You know, when you sign up for a website or an app for the first time, we've all experienced looking at the privacy policies and scrolling through them and then accepting them. And maybe there's a few details that you need when you log in. But maybe that onboarding experience might become a little bit longer for users because brands will want a little bit more information up front so they can personalize those experiences because they can't get that from the tracking that they've had previously. So that's maybe one way in which I can I can see a privacy first future impacting consumers, not necessarily in a negative way. It's just a behavioral change that might happen uh, because there's a lot there that you just said that's around preferences for the users and their ability to really mold their experience? I think as a marketer, I mean, this is what I tell the team. And I say, hey, anytime we're asking for a moment's attention from our target audience, what is that value exchange? Mm -hmm. And when I think about this one example, the value that the consumer gets is so far exceeds them signing on and probably opting in to, you know, first party cookies being tracked because they're actually getting so much out of it. So, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, the, the bar is high for marketers, but that's after all what marketers, what I find the most exciting because we get to be creative, right? So it is up to us to create a very valuable value exchange. Um, that's what excites me about marketing, frankly. How do we do what we do in a way that our target audience finds valuable? I always lie. I always have one question that I have another one because it's always prompted. My final question for you, just on your, your own experiences as a marketer and as a consumer, I'm interested because you must observe this stuff a lot. Is there anything that comes to mind for you as your favorite personal, personalized experience? That could be from a brand or an app, anything that you really liked out there? You know what I've been noticing? Um, and, and, you know, this has been happening for some time now. Um, I think that it's not about um, what you buy. It's how you buy. And what's been really interesting to me is when I go on Instagram Right. And, and, and depending on who we follow, you know, like, like the fee can be just really like beautiful. Um, and I find that the ads on Instagram exude that for me. And um, so, you know, I've been thinking about this recently. Why can't my business purchases be as delightful as me scrolling through my Instagram stories, barely noticing that there's an ad there and actually buying something? And so I've been thinking about that a lot, but I think the infusion of the business purchase in kind of your everyday life in a way that doesn't actually feel that intrusive because it was nice to look at. So, so there's something there um, with just, you know, the bridging of our scrolling activity, if you will, 
and just how we buy. Interesting. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense to me. And um, like the connection almost between the business or the service industry and taking the techniques and the um, really the sentiment of that Instagram based approach is what you were just saying and applying that in a more intuitive, enjoyable way. That makes a lot of sense, making it a bit more seamless for us as marketers, as users, as consumers. Katrina, that's been a really interesting discussion. But before I let you go, do you want to let our listeners know where they can connect with you, learn more about this topic that we're discussing and how Twilio segment can help? Absolutely. So for more information about Twilio segment, um, www.segmentsegment.com. And uh, my Twitter handle is CatchMeSocial. It's K-A-T-C-H-M-E-S-O-C-I-A-L. It was such a pleasure, Scott. Thank you so much. All of those links will be in the show notes for you listeners. This has been the Internet Marketing Podcast. Take care. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 